dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the Gospel of St. Mark to see what lessons in leadership can be found there. In chapter 14, our Lord enters into his passion by the Last Supper. There is no better place to understand the role of friendship in the life of Christ than here with his apostles in the upper room. Hi everybody, I'm glad to be back with you again. And we have the opportunity to continue our study here of the Gospel of St. Mark, trying to understand what the Gospels have to say to us in our vocations and our, our, our call by Christ to be the leaders that he's calling us to be today. Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor. Illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Mark, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The last time we were together, we were looking at Mark chapter 14. And you can, all, of course, take out your Bibles, open up to Mark 14. And if you don't have a Bible, this is the chance to get one, everybody. Uh, we cannot go into the combat of the spiritual life without the sword of the Spirit, those sacred scriptures. So if you do not have a Bible yet, I want to suggest you a great thing. It's called a pocket Bible. A lot of times we get these Bibles that are so wonderful and they're just so uh, beautiful that we don't feel like we can mark them up. We can't really use them. And so they stay on the shelf and we go unprepared into the combat of the spiritual life. We need to have our sword, and it needs to be a sword that we feel like we can actually use. And so getting yourself a, a Bible that you can be with and love and use, it's almost like your best friend. It's just, it's just a great thing to have. So pull out your Bibles, of course. Mark 14, we looked at the difficulties that Christ encountered in his leadership. And we said last time, listen, a lot of us feel guilty about it being hard or we feel like since we're getting knocked around, we must be, we must be wrong. Especially for entrepreneurs, this is something that happens. It's a, it's a unique phenomenon. Everyone around you is always asking you, hey, how are you doing? And <laughs> it's got to be the worst question possible to ask an entrepreneur. How are you doing? Because the answer is always going to be the same. I'm doing lousy. How are you doing? I mean, 
You're out there fighting, you're struggling, you're trying to make something happen. You always are in between the victory and the defeat. And so it's just this question that everyone asks all the time. Who They might not be used to that. Most of us want to hear the stories of business uh, that just make it sound like it's so easy and that you're just doing such a great job because a lot of people work for companies where things do go well most of the time and where they just have to do what they have to do every day and then they go home. It's not so for the business owner, especially not so for the entrepreneur. We are people of risk who are exposed every day to the fact that if we don't make it happen, it might not happen at all. And that constant risk keeps us well awake at night and up early in the morning too. <laughs> and this is part of what we are called to do. And just as it's a great and noble task to go to work every day and do what you're told, it's also a great and noble task to have to run a business that employs and makes possible that kind of stability for everybody else. And so it, it, it's both, both worlds are great, but, and both worlds have their difficulty. But I want to speak especially to the fact that in Mark 14, the leader, so the proverbial business owner, so to speak, right? The, the, the person who the, the buck stops here with, the guy at the top, Jesus Christ, had to lead and exert his leadership and, and give his best amidst incredible trial and pushback. You could even say that in a certain way, it looked like our Lord failed. Now, of course, he didn't fail. He succeeded and he succeeded perfectly and in the full wisdom of God. But the point is that he carried our burdens, including the burdens that we have when we're trying to make something wonderful happen. And it seems like every wind possible blows against us. Yes, it, it, this, this story is written in the very fiber of what it means to be a leader. Leaders are like prows of a vessel. We are made to smash through the waves and the waves will come again and again and against us. But since we're the first point of that ship, the full fury of the sea unleashes itself against us. And our job is to cut it in two and make a wake so that everyone behind us can pass through safely and calmly. We're the prow of the vessel. Well, but we're not alone. If you take a look at Mark 14, we talked about the betrayal. We talked about just the difficulties that go on there. But I want to focus in now on Mark 14 chapter or verses 12 through 25 when our Lord shares a moment of intimacy with his apostles. Why? Because life is not just about the difficulty. And he gives us here an example in our leadership that's astounding. The place and the value of the friend. Do you have friends that you can count on? People in your leadership, in your world, that are there like rocks of support for you? Or is it just instead the rocks around you and underneath the water ready to break you? Well, our Lord did not just have rocks that were ready to break him. He chose a band of 12 
in whom he invested in order to share love and life with them. And that band of 12, the 12 apostles, provided comfort, beauty, and service to Christ. And he accepted it. I think that so many today, we struggle, right, so often. We struggle because we feel like we're all alone. Not even Christ was all alone. In fact, Christ was always in union with his Father, but he was also surrounded by people who cared for him, and he let this happen. I think, you know, this is one of the things I deal a lot with with young Catholics who, who are trying to, to do a good thing and live the good spiritual life. They, they get out there, and then they, they live this type of ideal of if it's hard, it must be good. If I'm suffering, it must be good. And there's kind of like a, a lack of joy that can permeate our lives. And in the lives of, of entrepreneurs and the lives of business leaders, it can be the same thing. It's called burnout, right? And it's an enemy to the soul. It's, it, it's in the eyes of people who have pushed so far and not taking care of themselves. Does burned out describe you? Does burned out describe your leadership? Well, if it does, then, then, then let's look at what, how our Lord lived his and how he avoided this state of soul. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Mark 14, 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And whenever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Well, that's just, it's marvelous, right? And this, this is just the very beginning of this passage. Where our, the our Lord allows the apostles to serve him. On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus doesn't say, oh, it's all about, I, I have to do this. It, this is important because there's a saying out there that floats around and says, I am third. And meaning God, others, me. Now, now, I think that that is absolutely correct. It's a beautiful thing. It means that I'm here to give myself to God and to give myself to others. But when you understand that correctly, you've got to understand it in the light of what Christ talks about in the Gospels. Because in the Gospels, he says, you have this commandment. The greatest commandment is this, love your Lord, your God, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, so there you're like, give myself 100%. And then he says, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. No, wait a second. 
That really surprises us because you'd think he'd say, love your Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love God. Because of course, that's what it means, right? It, it, there's one virtue of charity with two objects. The same love is given to both. We get that. But why does he say, love your neighbor as yourself? It's not because you're, not, you're supposed to love them with a different love. No, the love that we have from God and in God is a love that then is given to us to give towards our brothers. That's the beautiful thing about Christian charity. The thing, though, that our Lord is showing us is that the way that we live that charity out has to take into account the realism of who we are. The realism of who we are is that we are limited creatures who need to take care of themselves in order to love fully and best. And I mean that. I see in the eyes of tired mothers who just go for month after month after month with all of these children with them at home on their hips, carrying around. They're, you know, they're just, there's never a break when you're a mom. And then you have four of them, five of them, six of them, and they're all there at the same time with you constantly. And you just get so worn down because, I mean, moms are incredible people. Talk about incredible leaders, right? They have to balance everything that they're doing with the kids, all the educational needs, all the emotional needs, all of the time. And then economic, their economic needs, they're going around trying to save money. They have to be great cooks. They have to be, they have to do all of these things simultaneously. And there's like, they're always on. Well, what's going to happen? They're going to get burned out. And it's the same with our, our work world. If we're not careful enough, our professional lives will eat us alive. It's like, do you want to go out to lunch, you know, and you're going out to lunch with your job and your job is eating you for lunch. It's not even funny because it, it, there's never ending. Work never ends. And so if I have that perspective saying it's God, others, me, and I come third, I'm never going to get to me. It's just a fact. <laughs> it goes, God, uh, others, God, others, God, others. I wake up and I, and I serve God, then I serve others, serve God, serve others. And we feel guilty about anything being done for us. Look at the example of our Lord here. This is amazing. He says, they say to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he does not say, wait a second, I'm the Lord and I'm the servant. I am therefore your master who loves you the most. I'm going to prepare for it. He says instead, we'll go into a city and there you're going to find another one of my disciples that you don't even know about. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, right? And say, where is my guest room that I may eat my Passover with my disciples? And the verse 16, they went and prepared the Passover for Christ. First lesson from Christ is that when you're going into a crisis situation, you need all the help you can get and you need to be able to take it. This is like when one of your children is sick in the hospital. It's not the time to refuse the help of your neighbors. Or when you, you have a, a, a husband at home or a wife at home who is sick or terminally ill. These are the moments where you're in the combat and your mission is so important. You need to be able to hit that goal. And to do that, you need people's help. 
It is a great act of love to let other people love you. It is a great act of service to let other people serve you. And, and it's more than just an act of love or service out of your generosity. It's essential because you're a human being and you're not God and you need this extra help. We as leaders have to take that into consideration constantly. Are we taking care of ourselves? It's not God, others, me in an absolute sense. I get, we all get the point of that, right? But how about if we put it this way, God, then me for others. That means everything that I invest in myself can be invested in myself so that I become a better gift for the others. Even Mother Teresa of Calcutta stopped every year and went on her retreat. And during her retreat, she was not taking care of people. She was praying and she was resting and she was rejoicing in God. The fact is all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy and makes you a bad leader. Even Christ had friends. As we're going to see here, those friendships were intimate and profound. Do you allow yourself to have friends? Can you count on your hand the people that you can turn to in the bad times and in the crisis situation? And do you allow them to be a part of your life when you most need it? The fact is our Lord Jesus is there with you as well. He wants to be your friend. He wants you to rely on him, to know him, and to know that he's there for you. Have you ever thought just for a second of how you look in the eyes of Christ? Here you are at your desk, at your computer. Here you are early in the morning working to make this world do what it's supposed to do. You're there with your sick children. You're there in the car. Your fidelity is seen by Christ, is known by Christ, is loved by Christ. And yes, you're imperfect, and yes, you're a sinner, right? But you're also faithful. And in your fidelity, you're beautiful. And in your beauty, you're a friend of Christ. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. Let's take a look further at how our Lord lived out this friendship. What did it look like, right? It's so hard for us, especially when you're at the top, sometimes to develop these authentic friendships. We, we, we struggle with it because what are you supposed to talk about except what you want to talk about, which is usually what you're up to in terms of your work or how am I supposed to be vulnerable with other people when everybody depends upon me? We get so used to that mentality of being alone that it's really hard to let other people in. And if we're not careful, this will affect our marriages in a very bad way because you cannot act in your family in the same way that you would act with your coworkers. But if your work environment is difficult and, and demanding and therefore excellent in many ways, it's not just difficult in the sense of negative, but if it's a demanding environment, sometimes you, that persona requires so much of you that you can't shift gears. And if we don't shift gears, there's a whole nother world that we let down. We, we have to straddle this 
this foaming sea of life, right? One foot in professional excellence and one foot on the family. And it's a very difficult balancing act to make. How does our Lord do it though? He's fully engaged in preaching. He's fully engaged in teaching. He's fully engaged in doing what he has to do. And he knows that his betrayer is at hand and that he will soon be handed over. And yet he stops in verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, what's going on here? Well, first of all, it notes in verse 17, it was evening. The time frame is important. Can't you just imagine the scene? The evening falls and Jesus comes back into the city. He had just been anointed by St. Mary Magdalene. The oil was upon him still. And he comes to the city to be with his friends. At this one last moment, their last meal together. He knows full well that his betrayer is at hand. He knows full well what is waiting for him through the passion of the cross. And yet he takes this time to give a gesture of love. Not of any kind of project, not of any kind of small talk about, you know, what's going to go on in the future. We, things that we might normally be tempted to think that we would do. My legacy, here's how you're going to maintain it in the future, etc. You know, no. Our Lord instead intentionally shares time with them. To give each one of us this assurance of his love that he uniquely and absolutely loves us. And where do we find that assurance of his love? Verse 22, take, this is my body. Understanding the Eucharist and, and why it's so important to Catholics, it goes back to this moment because before our Lord went to his cross to suffer and die, for me and my family and my redemption. He first sat me down and gave me his body. Could there be any greater sign of love? No, otherwise he would have given it. <laughs> he even says, a man has no greater love than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. This is John 16. And he says that, of course, right at the moment of this very last supper. He called, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. And here in the Gospel of Mark, this friendship is demonstrated 
by the gift of his body. What he's going to do on the cross, he does now for them in love. What will happen in the passion of the suffering on the cross, he now preempts and fulfills already in love. As I give my body to you now, so I will give it up on the cross for you so that we never separate the love of the Last Supper and the Eucharist from the cross. So that we never get this in our mind, this mentality that somehow it's just a Jesus who suffers in a vacuum. Take, he says, and eat. This is my body. He wants that power of the cross to be in every fiber of our being. This is the great splendor of the Eucharist. The splendor of the Eucharist is that it is what it signifies. It's Christ coming within me to give me strength by his love. This is why it's a sacrament of incredible intimacy. In the Mass, after the moment of communion, it's required to have sacred silence. It's just a time where we sit in silence, one with Christ. Because silence is the language of love and intimacy. And if I can allow my friend, Jesus, to feed me with his own hand, and if I can allow the priest to stand in front of me being what he is, the Alter Christus, the other Christ, the Christ of today, I can receive from my Catholic faith a whole new boost in understanding of how much God loves me. He loves me enough to give me his body on the cross and to give the cross to me as my food and drink and to ask a man to give his whole life to stand in front of me in order to put that sacred body of Christ on my tongue so that I can eat the bread of angels and feed myself upon the strength of God. What a friend we have in Jesus indeed that he would give us the Eucharist in this mystery of intimacy before we go into our passions and our strivings and our challenges. We go there strengthened by this embrace of Christ. I have called you. I love you. You are mine. And you are my friend. And we go into this passion together united by the bond of love, united in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.